0: Hey, everybody, this is George Edelman, uh, Editor-in-Chief at No Film School, coming to you today with an interview with cinematographer Logan Schneider, who is nominated for an Emmy for Drunk History. Uh, Drunk History is a great show. If you haven't watched it, it's it's just completed its sixth season. And I'm actually friends with a couple of the guys who created it, and I go way back with them so i know some of the history there logan came into it during the run and he has an amazing story of how he built his cinematography career from being a film loader and taking odd jobs during college just to get exposure and experience and he did not go to college or film school in a major city He started just shooting snowboarding videos with his friends, and he really helps uh, people understand, I think, in this interview, how he kind of pieced it all together, like literally brick by brick as he went up the chain and, you know, now is nominated for an Emmy for shooting a super popular series. So enjoy. You know, the first thing, or the or a good place to start, usually I find is, uh, did you always know that you wanted to work in the entertainment industry? Did you always know you wanted to be a cinematographer? And how did you kind of come to that?
1: Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, I uh, I started making snowboard videos with my friends on a soup on a high eight camera when I was about 14 and we'd all take turns shooting, but I would get more frustrated if the shots weren't right. And <laughs> if, and I'd end up shooting more and then I would do the editing and the kind of, the feedback loop began. And, <laughs> and then you pretty got settled with as a life. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, the next season I'm like, Mr. Cameraman, you know, film me occasionally but really I wasn't as good as them and I was having more fun filming and then I started doing school projects like oh you could do this project as a video all right let's figure out how to do a video of this and figure out editing and figure out oh now I got to figure out how to put music on this and what works and let's I just spent 14 hours trying to pick music for a two minute piece <laughs> um, and was this
0: all in the eight era
1: uh, yeah, high eight, and then at some point, like near my senior year, it transitioned to mini DV, which is very futuristic. And
0: uh, yeah, I remember mini DV was the was the
1: the future. Total, yeah, and uh, it was it was great. And the the ability, it was like the first final cut came out that year, and or somewhere junior senior year, and all these all these doors started to open to kind of more accessible editing and and creativity so i i decided i wanted to go to film school at that point but i always thought i'd um i'd be a director because everyone goes in like that (laughs)
0: everyone's a director on day one right
1: yeah and uh so i wanted to go somewhere with where i could snowboard and be in the mountains but also learn film and there's kind of a limited list of those schools um so i ended up going even
0: i'm not sure which ones are on the list so um what are they
1: well there's there's CU boulder and there's places in uh washington state or you could go to vancouver or something like there are they exist vermont i went to montana state which i love um And has had a film program since the 60s with a bunch of pretty impressive alumni snuck in. There's not a lot of us in L.A., but we're there and we're um, busy. And uh, it was really good for me because it's kind of I needed to, like, grow up as a human in addition to learning. Um, And if I had gone to L.A. before that kind of maturity set in, I think that would have ended badly. Yeah. Um, So... So then I start school and, you know, the directing thing, like I can do it sort of at that context, but I just constantly was more focused on the visuals and I just didn't want to deal with everything else. And I'm like, there's a job that does that. Why don't I just do that job? And you do the ego kill of like letting go of being a director.
0: What were you shooting stuff on at that time and in
1: school? Some were mini DV, um, but we we did have to do a couple um, Super super 16, or I guess it was just regular 16 um, projects where you shoot reversal and then actually project it. Um, I think it was the sophomore year, then we started to do like answer prints and um yeah you know one one like transfers
0: i feel like um, we were around the same era because my film my undergrad film school experience was similar like i did actually get to shoot some film and it was mm -hmm. really cool and i feel like that's that's less and less common or maybe not common at all anymore but yeah, yeah i feel like it has a pretty big impact on on how you end up feeling about the process and how you shoot right
1: I think it teaches you a lot of discipline um, to because you have to think everything through that. You can't just keep rolling. You need to be, okay, I need this shot. I need this shot. This is how this is going to work and edit together because it has to, because I only have three minutes on this daylight spool. Exactly. And, And that's good to force people to do that. And what is exposure, you know, frame rate, shutter speed, um, F-stop, like, how, how does that all work? And, totally. and it to reminds me. double
0: Right, and you're doing the math in your head in a way because mm-hmm. you're, you're imagining what your image is going to be because you can't actually see it. Like, you have to figure out based on the data yeah. you have, like, this is what I think my image is going to look like.
1: You really have to visualize. And, um, you know, I taken photography in in high school and, and kind of learned the magic of the darkroom to a certain extent. Although I had never been, I'm still not as enamored of still photographs of doing them as, as motion, but it's, um, I, I, I understood stood the exposure part. And so it became about visualization and how do we get the most out of these three minutes? And the first projects were like edited in camera. So you really had to like rehearse it and plan it. And otherwise you just didn't have something watchable. Um, that's, that's something that you don't really learn. What you do learn on digital is, okay, I messed up, do it again, messed up, do it again. No big deal. Um, and I, I appreciate that, but I'm glad, and I, you know, I loaded film and we'll get to that, but like, like seconding film, firsting on film, understanding the pressure and, and how dialed you had to be because there's like fear in the room, you know, it really is.
0: I know. I'm glad I like talking yeah. about this stuff. I mean, maybe some people get tired of hearing about it, but I feel like that strain and pressure of film, like of, of potentially fucking up, <laughs> like, like you talk mm-hmm. about loading, yeah. for example, like, like yeah. it's, it's real. Like, like, I mean, I think a DIT experiences it nowadays in the modern like workflow, like you, you could delete, you could, you know, there's, you could format a card or something that they're, but that feeling of that tangible thing in your hands that you could screw up is is real.
1: I think I've run across maybe one flashed card in my entire career because of a dit that was yeah that was forced on the production by a post. You know, it was like a yeah a lot of professional mistakes. I think like if you're messing up data as a dit, you shouldn't be a dit it's it's not it's not that hard there are really (laughs) difficult things about dit and i have have so much respect for a lot of my friends that are dit's but in terms of like keeping footage safe it's like if you can't do that you're in the wrong job (laughs) Um, whereas every day was a question every day every you put on the 12 to 1 and you got the car coming at you you got your three marks and you need that badge sharp from all the way away to the badge. And the operator thought it was sharp, seemed sharp. <laughs> but you're not gonna know. It here's the other thing about going to Montana that was great is you're kinda remote and you're you can't there's no like you can't get a dolly from Fisher and you can't just grab you can't screen dailies the next day. Like you're whatever you're doing is done and gone. And a week later you get your dailies yeah so you there was an extra kind of resourcefulness and self-sufficiency that was needed I bet. whereas um, would you get
0: the stock like did it take a while to get just ordered stock?
1: From, just fedexed from kodak it's the same yeah. as we do now um
0: yeah
1: so that that wasn't the hard part it was it was really though that you were kind of like on your own and yeah like sure that.
0: Was it, was the lab far away? Like, I mean, I'm just remembering I shot on location once on film and it took a while to get developed stuff back and stuff like that. So oh
1: yeah. I mean it, a lot of it, the early stuff, they had to deal with Alpha Cine in Seattle and um, with the school. And then we started going like Photocam and, you know, you overnight it. They, they overnight it back. But between that, the processing, everything else, it ends up taking a week. And that whole time you just, I think it was sharp. Was I two stops or three (laughs) stops under? Or I got one thing, like the assistant at the end of the day is like, "Uh, I thought I had a six in the mat box, but it was a nine. I'm sorry. You're like, okay, let's see how it works.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no no do-overs under those circumstances.
1: Yeah. It's like,
0: I was compared to writing on a typewriter, which is even more archaic, but it's like that, you, you can't, you'd have to like white it out. Like your draft is your draft.
1: Right?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious how you go from, you know, Montana and shooting film and, and learning and sort of thinking, I think I want to just shoot. I don't know that I want to be a director to LA and starting to be a loader and a, you know, AC and all of that.
1: So I I didn't leave Montana right away. So I, one of the, There's a couple interesting things happened. One is it was a small market, but there was a certain amount of production there. And the other is that in the 90s, it had been super busy and there was a solid crew base. But after production had run away to Canada, uh, a lot of the crew had left and it really slowed down. So there started to creep some more production into town. And I could totally punch above my weight because there wasn't no one... They didn't want to fly a a loader in or fly a second in, so I started loading the bigger shows, you know, whatever commercial or car commercial. Um, Then I would second medium or some car commercials, and I'd first little things, and then I'd shoot second unit or operate. You know, just I was kind of doing all the jobs. Green is the grass, but you know, I I paid attention and I read a lot and and. I I approached it seriously. And um, so I was able to make a living pretty much straight out of school. And build a resume and
0: build a knowledge base, which is invaluable, right?
1: Totally. Yeah.
0: Competition for those opportunities. That's pretty awesome.
1: And you knew, Uh, did you know
0: at that point that you were going to, that you wanted to be in the camera department already?
1: Yes. Yeah. As soon as I decided I wanted to be a cinematographer, I, 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 the first movie I ever worked on, I worked on as uh, an electric, but that was the only movie I didn't work in camera. Um, But that was a great experience too. And, and, you know, there was that book, um, Set Lighting Technician's Handbook by Harry Box, And I studied that like crazy. I I had taken physics and learned electricity to a certain extent. And I learned, I relearned the whole thing. I studied it. I made batten strips. I wired them. I would wire the, um, dimmers and uh, extension cords, whatever we we if we wanted it, we had to make it. So that's awesome. cause there's a Genie house there, but we couldn't afford that for our own stuff. And um and plus, you know, there's nothing prettier than a baton strip. So <laughs> uh, or you know, paper lanterns, things like that.
0: That's so cool you made it. I mean, that's so cool yeah. and 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 near to our you know DIY no film school. You know, approach, but like that's how you learn. You built it.
1: I still t- on on drunk history. The two busiest lights on the truck are 18ks and covered wagons. One of them is the biggest light we have, and the other one is like fifty dollars at Home Depot. <laughs> it's it's just about what looks great. Yeah. Know.
0: So um, yeah, so so did you? After a little while of doing that stuff, you came to L.A. or what happened
1: so i started you know i started working my way up i was also doing ski films um uh the main director cameraman of warren miller ski films lives in bozeman so yeah i met him on car commercials that i was seconding and then it's like i'd love to come out and I mean it's, i hadn't done s- s- snowboard stuff for years but like I, I used to make those i'd love to come do that and he started you know, bringing me out as a second camera or sending me when the main two guys were busy somewhere. And that was a great thing to do a couple weeks a year and shoot and film. Um, I'd work on, I worked on a number of small movies and that was my first introduction to kind of working in narrative uh, and what that process is. Cause it's a fundamentally, fundamentally different um, feeling to like the crew is so, so much a family, hopefully and you're <laughs> in it together especially on a small film because people are there yeah. for different reasons than on a big film you know yeah i really like playing in that world where it's you know full rate no excuses and and everyone has to be the best and and or they don't get asked back because there's like a pressure and a challenge and you can paint bigger but at the same time you know on a small film everyone's there because they like movies and Um, You get to know people, you interact, especially location films, which is what all these movies were. Um, You really get to know people, whereas you might work with someone for 10 years before you know someone that well in in L.A. or New York.
0: Well, yeah, those location shoots also like there's a there's a survival. uh, There's a Mm -hmm. there's a there's a trenches mentality,
1: I think. Totally. So all this time I was three or four times a year, I would drive down to L.A. and spend a week just visiting, calling everyone I knew, uh, visiting sets, rental houses, anyone that would put up with me. So I got to watch (laughs) like, so I loaded this tiny uh, I loaded a commercial. No, it was a a movie that came to Livingston, Montana. And I hadn't loaded a Panavision mag for a while. I think the second actually loaded the mag for me because I'm like, it nine P or PP and which is the, the spooling of the film. Yeah. And the yeah. second looked at me like, I'll do it, <laughs> which is very <laughs> nice. She ended up being a very good friend that I worked with for a very long time. And um, but the first AC was, um, Baz Eidween, who's a wonderful gentleman. And he was, Michael Chapman was the DP on that, which oh, was fun to watch. I for a day, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I mean, I didn't really learn anything cause it was like, kid rides by on a horse, kid rides by on a horse. All right, go home. It was very simple. They were just getting <laughs> yes. a couple elements. But, you know, when I got back to L.A., I called Baz. I'm like, hey, can are you doing anything? Can I come watch? And he he was, for many years, Robert Elspeth's first. And so just by staying after it, he was very kind and let me watch. And then uh, he's let me do that a couple times over the years. And when I see him and just check in and um there were a lot of people that did things like that Uh, robert primes came up for some conference about montana film and the union sent him as the rep and he was a great dp and and very very sweet and and i would just go have like coffee at his house every time i was there but if he was shooting i'd go watch him work yeah and you know i just i would do more phone call visits in a week three times a year than I would probably if I lived in L.A. Yeah. Um, so
0: you,
1: meanwhile, so I really go back maximize
0: and – maximized that potential uh, of yeah. learning from, like, taking your own time out to try to get to a set and watch somebody mm-hmm. work and absorb what they were doing.
1: Totally. I mean, so that day with Ellsworth was on a sh- show called Red Belt, and it was so simple. Like everything he was doing, it it was very simple, but it looked amazing. And it, he realized that the best guys aren't about doing all this fancy stuff. It's about putting the right light in the right place the first time. He's like, so good, by the way. <laughs> like, so, isn't oh, he- yeah i was honored to get to watch you know he
0: doesn't get mentioned enough when people talk about great dps right now but yeah
1: i don't know i mean he's got an oscar for a reason there's true true but i just okay i
0: I just mean that in the sense that like i think there are some like deacons gets talked about a lot and he's a genius but there's sort of like a cult around certain cinematographers and i feel like he doesn't but yeah he's he's very celebrated and successful yes yeah
1: and he's you know, he had a 10-year run that was just unbelievable in the odds, from good night and good luck to there will be blood. Um, yes. Yeah, he's he's Siriano, et cetera, et cetera.
0: But the simplicity thing, I love that. Um, talk mm-hmm. about it more. <laughs>
1: like It's so oh, great. Yeah, so, I, I have a thing with my guys on set where – and I wonder what my Gaffer and Kieger would say to this, but my <laughs> – uh, <laughs> hey, they're not here – uh, hi Rudy, hi Ryan. The <laughs> my feeling is I never feel bad about asking for the biggest thing we can do and get away with doing, as long as I don't go fishing. Like I want that. Like if I want two eighteen Ks on it, I want them to land once, because those guys are working hard and we have a lot more to do. And I don't think it's it's fair to the crew and. Uh, respectful to the crew to just keep them huffing stuff because I'm not making good decisions Hmm. is there's always a point where you know what that didn't the blocking oh man I blew it um we gotta do a quick reset and that happens and and everyone has that but in terms of landing the right light the first time I really I really think that's important both for getting the most out of the labor but also keeping morale up um and in terms of simplicity
0: yeah how do you it's usually like it's something that like would be so hard to execute like what goes into your planning that'll that that makes that possible
1: good question that's that's one of those (laughs) things where it's like what's what's experience what's learning what's inspiration what's like yeah like a lot of times i don't know um I'm like, man, that's uh, let's just put okay, any they're going down here, down this hallway. There's three big windows. So we got to bang some lights in there but then wrap it here. Okay. So that means they're going to be three condors outside. And that's a big thing to ask for. Like what lights does that have to be that we never have to move them or minimally move them so that those resources aren't wrapped up in that all day. And our other guys can work, and um, it's also it all comes from the story. And so,
0: so you're, so I think what you're saying what it, it sounds like is that you try to keep that economy of movement and work in mind as yeah, you make a decision the first. Totally. Yeah, I, I see. I
1: I never met, like when I was a camera assistant, and I pulled focus for ten years or so, and you know, I don't, I never mind moving something, carrying something putting on the longest lens you want. Uh, like, I don't, I, I always looked up to the guys that wanted the hardest shots or girls. Um, like the people that, that, the the Tony Scott crew, those guys, uh, and they always like, give me the hardest shot, put me in that situation. Um, and I always aspire to that as a, as a camera assistant. And yeah. so Like I, I put that on to my crew of like, let's do, let's go as far as this can go. That being said, you know, I have to live up to the talents of my crew, which means I expect more of myself. So if I'm going to make them work their butts off, um, I expect it of myself that I'm going to get it right the first time. Um, it's a, it's a, it it doesn't always work, but it's always something I keep in my mind. And I like the mentality. It generally dovetails with simplicity.
0: The shortest distance between two points, kind of thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, most real light is light in real life is pretty simple most of the time, um, and so the recreation is often simple. Well, um, so
0: what was the first move to? Being a DP. So you'd been loading, you'd been a first AC, you pulled focus, like you came out, you yeah. watched a lot of greats. And did you get an opportunity? I guess, how did you get the opportunity to be in a first? Like that would have been a big step, right?
1: So this again goes down to the fact that there was no crew base. So the woman who had been the second AC that loaded that mag for me and saved the day it uh, was this wonderful uh, assistant named Jamie Stevens who. She had been a loader and second for uh, Richardson on like Kill Bill, et cetera, et cetera. Like super experienced. She totally took me under her wing. And there was a movie that came to Montana and I had been pulling focus on little things and um, I wasn't zero experience, but I mean, now I'm so green. And the, the DP came to town. It was this like, million million two movie and kind of interviewed the people that could do b camera and it was me and like grad students in the natural history program like it was it was slim pickens. but <laughs> so he was okay with me and so jamie the a first kind of took me under her wing and and she really took care of me through that show and that gave me a certain amount of experience and just both because it's not just a focus pulling, it, it is the role of a first AC. And then about a year after that, I finally moved to LA, and then I would hire her or whoever I could get on B camera that was more experienced than me, um, that didn't have an attitude about it and watch what they did. So, to I should step back when I did move to LA, I was working on a documentary that kind of, um, kind of paid my bills. I worked three or four days a month. Um, you know, I was pretty low overhead at that point. And, um, which is a good move early on. And, um, I, I thought, Oh man, I'm going to move to LA. I'm going to try to second for a few years, really like learn it right. And come up under some great people. And I just couldn't get a job. Um, cause I didn't, I hadn't spent years loading in town and, and dialed into the union system. I wasn't union yet. And then I just started getting like first-team jobs on music videos and little commercials. And then nine months after I was there, I was working five days a week, making, you know, a tragic raid compared to big union guys. But for me, having been in Montana where like you're fighting for every job in any small market is like that. But if you get a job, someone else doesn't get a job, and it's very like clicky to go to somewhere where I could work five days a week and make enough t- to be doing really comfortable. It was like, that was one thing that I really learned from being in, my, in that small market was to be grateful for just working in an amazing business, like to be able to go to set and do all these am- amazing things. And we I was working with the toys I had read about and, watching yeah. things be done and like this is so fun and i'm not you know i'm not above the quick equipment geek side you know i i enjoy all that um as a dp it becomes less primary it's it, they their tools but like i loved being ac i loved building the camera and getting it sleek and um really honing those skills and while i was doing all that and watching other dps I was always hiring the best second AC that would put up with me, the best DIT or loader, the best B camera first that that I could watch and learn from. Even uh, when you were
0: first, yeah, yeah, you know, I because I was
1: cool. I knew I was green and I was I had no ego about it. I was yeah. Uh, so
0: I think there's a lesson to highlight there that I think is really cool, and I wish I'd learned it. And I think everyone could benefit. Is like. If you can, like, there's no, you can only benefit from having, by, from surrounding yourself by more experienced, talented people. Like you do not mm-hmm. have to be the smartest person in the room or the most talented person in the room, and you benefit if you can put your ego aside, and your work will be better, and you'll learn more. And uh, I think that's a genius move. And doing it when you're young, it's hard. It's amazing how hard it is for people to do that, but it's, it's such good advice.
1: Someone had a, a phrase which is. I think somewhat illustrative, obviously there's very, everyone's very different, but the, the phrase was a team hires, a team, B team, hires C team. <laughs> and if you want to, if you want to play at the top end, the only way you can do that is by hiring people that you are accountable to. Like I, I work with the gaffer and key grip and first ACs that I admire and both as technicians and as people and as artists and um i feel like when they show up i have to show up at a level that is going to make them want to come back you know i i'm not just impressing the director and and the client or whatever depending on what executives depends on the type of shooting but but you know to get those guys or girls like they just need to be like, you got to show something that's going to make them want to come back because they have other choices.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's um, good leadership, too. It's like a lost art, you know, like like leading by trusting, leading by investing in the people and knowing, hey, I can't necessarily do your job better than you. Somewhere along the line, people started thinking leadership was like being the best at everything or doing it all better than everyone else. And I think that's uh, incorrect.
1: Yeah, and it's it's also, you know, being able to... But at some point, you have to have conviction in a way that, like, we... Sometimes my crew and I disagree on what we should do, and you have to decide, oh, maybe that's a different way to do it, or this is what I want, this is what I don't want to look at, I, it's my name on the slate, and I I have to... I yeah. have to... Stay, stick with my instinct um, to get where I, I think this needs to be and sometimes I'm right and sometimes I'm wrong but but that's the other part of leadership is you have to keep the crew together but also in the end you step through alone um, with the final call and um, but I, I I'm really blessed and, and thankful to have the to work with the people I do and I'm constantly thankful.
0: So like coming, flashing forward a little bit, you, you became a DP, but you know, you've had a lot of, you've worked a lot in comedy. And I think it's interesting, especially coming from where we started in the conversation talking about, you know, film and resources and learning to be careful and also learning to keep things simple because comedy, Especially some of the ones you've worked on can be different every time, and you need to give room for that to happen, right? Mm-hmm. So, can you tell me a little bit about, like, how I guess how you became a DP, but like officially, like the first projects, yeah. but also like your career because you've worked in a you know, you've worked a lot in the genre, and uh, I imagine that it's some of your skills and some of the simplicity of things you've talked about is, is important
1: yeah um let's see so i always shot documentaries or uh, assisted documentaries and that was kind of a through line through my whole ac career and whenever i could shoot a small commercial or uh, or uh, music video that would take me i would shoot so I, I was trying to get they inform each other so i was a better assistant when i could shoot because i would still come to the assisting job as an AC. I wasn't too cool yet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still not too cool, but <laughs> uh, that's, that's a long story. But, the uh, <laughs> you know, the whole time on those documentaries and, and other projects, I, I was always really making sure that, that I, I was learning that capacity because you can only learn so much of it by watching it, yeah. for me. Um, but, you know, it's also have to be careful because some people start to, like, get over being an assistant before they're really ready. And that for a DP, if you have an assistant like that, that becomes a problem because they might be a great assistant. But if they're not 100 percent, then. But at some point, I always thought, you know, I'm married and I, I have kids and, and I, f- I figured I would try to do commercials for this part of my life so that i could be home more and later kind of try to transition into narrative and it didn't just didn't happen that way Um, best
0: laid plans right
1: (laughs) so the the first shift into DPing was that leslie chilcott who had done commercials or documentaries with started directing commercials and then we were like whirlwind like working all the time and I made a mistake of not spending enough time developing other directing relationships. So um, one of the ones I had made was Jeremy Connor, who created Drunk History with Derek. And um, I shot music video, a couple of music videos and commercial for him and, and we got along great. But, you know, he, uh, so when Leslie suddenly decided I'm gonna go develop some documentaries again. Cause she, she likes to say she's commercial support her documentary habit.
0: And, <laughs> right,
1: yeah. and so, so that's always her primary focus. So I, uh, suddenly wasn't working in commercials and, you know, I'd always, I always love operating for friends cause it lets me see all the people I used to see all the time as an assistant and, um, even sings out a little bit month to month, but also it's, I still like watching other TV's, And um, so I kind of did more of that again, kind of stepped back and then was trying to figure it out. I was in this kind of morass of where this is going to go. And then Blake decided to leave Drunk History after four seasons. And um, Rudy, my key grip, had key grip the first four seasons and was good tight with all those guys. And I knew Blake and they all, they, Put in good words and Jeremy, Jeremy put in a good word. Um, and so that got me a meeting with Derek and met with those guys and it went great. And, and that's how I ended up in a TV show. So it was <laughs> all those little music videos and things that ended up meeting Jeremy that six years later, you know, I'd watch those guys rock it off as they started the show. And, you know, I'm doing little projects and, You know, there's always a sense when that happens that, oh man, I missed the boat, but I, I don't think I was ready anyway. So a lot of times when things don't work out, it it often later in retrospect feels like my, I wasn't ready to shoot something at a scale or like, you know, I, I needed more development as a person to be ready for this. Uh, Yeah. And that's, that's an important part. right right. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think not enough is said about the kind of journey of maturity that parallels a career and they, you know, some people like start out fully formed and more power to them where like they're going to end up as a DP after like a week and do great work (laughs) and have a long career and crush it. And that's awesome. And I don't think that would have been good for me. I don't think I would be a better person if that had happened to me.
0: Yeah. I love that. I needed to learn to
1: be a professional.
0: Yes. I know personally for myself, success, big success early on would have been ruinous. (laughs) just know based on my, also based on personal development. Yeah. Um, No, it's funny because uh, I go way back with Jeremy. I know him from high school and uh, knew Derek. I actually remember sitting in a restaurant with Derek when he told me about these two ideas he had for shows. One was about community college and the other was this drunk history thing. And I was like, oh, interesting.
1: Neither one of those is going to go anywhere.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, I was kind of like, okay, whatever, Derek. We were doing some little video, you know, that that also didn't go anywhere. You know, there were dime a dozen, those little videos um I th- it's funny i think i was kind of your precursor because i helped light on a couple of the very very early oh, really? few iterations awesome. of drunk history so we we have that in common and i'm sure you're doing a far far better job than i ever did well, uh, just because i, I was mean but if you hadn't
1: done that then we wouldn't be where we are
0: right exactly no it was like one of those things where it was like Hey, dude, can you come hold a boom and maybe move a light while we're doing this one video in our backyard with uh, Michael, Sarah, or whoever it was? Yeah. But but yeah, it was like, sure, man, sounds fun. But um, that show is, you know, it's genius and the whole idea in it, and obviously, like you said, it it blew up. But um, working with them and working in comedy, like I'm, I'm curious and I wonder if um the documentary experience makes you better at it because at least when i observed it being around it and being around the way those guys work there is a kind of like we're going to try to capture this moment as it's happening you know like it's scripted but i it's so scripted because you've got the drunk historian right but maybe you can tell me more about how how it goes now but um I imagine that being able to adjust, being able to keep it sort of like flowing and natural, but also capture the little moments that happen with the great comedic talents that they get on there. Like, is that does does your documentary background feed into that?
1: I think documentary teaches you to be simple. It teaches you um, you know, when I walk knowing a script. When I walk into a room, I usually walk to a certain place in the room and just naturally. And it's usually like looking at windows or side lit, like it, it teaches you how to land in the place where you can capture everything and it looks good and it can make things so much easier. So because if we go the other way, suddenly I walk next to the windows, looking in. Everything's front lit, and now I have to like fight the world to create shape. You just want to let the world do it for you because it's so much easier and it looks better.
0: That's such a good so, tip.
1: That's
0: such a that's like a weird little DP hack that I haven't heard someone explain before. But like let the let the way it's already lit naturally like guide you instead of trying to fight it.
1: I'll do two things about how I approach comedy and then how that effect correlates to drunk history, which is a pretty unique show. So yeah, I don't really approach comedy as comedy. Like I'll, I love movies. I love good movies. I've seen Zoolander and wedding Crouchers a thousand times, but I've also (laughs) seen there will be blood. However many times in the theater and, and Lawrence of Arabia. And, you know, I, I, I just like good movies. When I went in to uh, have a meeting to, um, to maybe do hintified on Netflix a year, year and a half ago, whenever that was um, you know, my references were no country for old men and big short because I wanted texture and, and life to it. And, and that, that was what the script kind of made made sense to me. That being said, you do need to i tend to wrap the light around a little bit more but everything up to that last wrap around i pretty much treat like a like a dramatic film and you can then if it's not working you can adjust but i just think of the movies that i like they don't go out of their way to be like comedy yeah Um, like I, I look at Gordon Willis's work with Woody Allen, Annie Hall, and Manhattan, and those were hilarious, great movies, and, and
0: also some of the best shot movies ever made. I,
1: exactly, <laughs> like, and, like, um, and just beautiful like, to look at. Like, look at Tropic Thunder. It's it's a totally rich image. John told did amazing work on that, but he wraps it. Up, you can always see the eyes. You can always catch the face, even if it's dark, and so that that's where you don't lose the joke. Here, yeah. For
0: those who don't, for those who don't know what you're referring to, when you say that, can you explain it a little more? Like, okay, what so it means? yeah, because I know it's a so it's just so, in case some people aren't familiar with what that means in the context of of lighting comedy.
1: So, say we're doing a really dramatic scene from a dramatic movie. I might have a shaft of light coming in. And there might be either full silhouette or just a little touch of bounce so that there's a little detail in the face, but but it's really dramatic and heavy. And what I would probably do, always depending on the the script, is probably just bring that up a little bit on the side where the light is coming from. So as if it wraps, um, I try to, I often implement a half moon of lighting so it starts in backlight and it fades into a creamy kick, into a nice key, but the other side stays dark. So as long as you keep that other side darker, you still have a rich image. You can just see a little bit more of the face so that people can catch, capture the expressions and emotions more easily, thus making the uh, the comedy read for the audience.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just I, I only ask you to detail it because I think like some people don't realize like that's one of the things with with like lighting a comedy is like we actually need to see the face for the joke. Often these actors yeah. are like going to yeah. deliver the joke in a look, in a, in a slight facial movement could be a punchline and you know if you're going full dramatic noir like the silhouette might be all you need like you may not need that you know movement of the eye or whatever it is but that's such a cool detail to 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 what you do and how because with drunk history you got to create a look from an era right often yeah
1: yeah and uh i have a friend of mine A DIT friend who used to be a second that I worked with, um, Eli Berg, he helped me. I don't have a DIT on that show. So what I did was I mapped glass color filters like you would use in the film days. And we mapped all of them and we mapped several different contrast curves, um, meaning more contrasty, less contrasty and several different saturation levels. And then we basically, we used a color chart and mapped 30 filters. And then because we had mapped 30 filters, we suddenly had 120 different LUTs and and it took a day. And the nice thing about that. So I could have this box on the camera, a LUT box or color duo from the Teradek box. And I could just dial in on my monitor. The look i wanted sometimes i knew had a total plan for what i was doing and sometimes you're winging it so take the, the look which then i send it to everyone else and then i just i had a place on the slate for that and then i had to place um, on the camera report so that we made sure it stayed in the pipeline and one of the important things is if you don't have a dit you don't like check things I was like, I know what an antique suede looks like. I know what a tobacco looks like. I know what a chocolate looks like. So if I put in an antique suede one, no matter what the monitoring situation is, whatever is going on all over the place, I can kind of switch back to that film mode of I know what this looks like later, even though I can't control the viewing environment without a DIT.
0: So having that film background, again, knowing how to create so, the visual in your yeah. mind. Yeah. And being able to rely upon that.
1: I even did one documentary where every country or city had a different like light color filter. And we shot it with the color filter. And then I brought the filters into the color session. And the colorist could look at it and be like, this is what I mean by cyan. Yeah. Okay. I know what cyan means in this yes. context like I know what chocolate means I know what tobacco means and it was it was amazing to have that that communication level where it was not just it's such a subjective thing that
0: it, Yeah it's crazy how hard it is to talk about color. I don't think people often realize or appreciate how complicated it can be because we all like, you know, it's not like that, that when you go buy paint at the store and there's like robin's egg blue or deep summer blue or like whatever weird adjectives that don't necessarily tell you what the color, like how do you know like what we're talking about in terms of saturation, hue, contrast, you know, those sorts of things. So that's really helpful to create your own yeah. shorthand.
1: I it, testing I have more and more. I'm very thankful for all the time I have to test and get my system in place. Um, I don't want to talk about camera stuff on set. I don't want to talk about which lenses might do what or how the LUT's going to work. I want that sorted out so that I can just be like, I feel like the right thing for this is these lenses with this filter with this LUT. And I know what that's gonna do. Yeah. Um,
0: what? What camera do you guys the
1: shoot? the story is so cool.
0: What do you guys? Shoot um,
1: through? the last two seasons were uh, Alexa Mini.
0: And, do you, and do you? Do you? I, everybody loves it. I assume you're you're pretty happy with it. What do you guys use lens wise? Do you change it up? Based um,
1: on the so yes, but there's a main set is Master Primes, and a main anamorphic set of Cooke Anamorphics, and then sometimes i will switch them off up um and we carry a 12 to 1 on I um, I definitely those are i can work a lot with those because they're cleaner and i can put things onto them and the more things get good in front of the camera the more i've shifted towards clean lenses you know i've played with all the vintage stuff and that it's really good for certain emotional things and obviously music videos and commercials where you don't have the set dressing and you want to hide things it's useful for that but i found the artifacts getting in the way more and more so the last season i switched to to master primes and and the cook anamorphics again and and having that clean lets me control the the how affected the image is um and then you know some days I, like like let's this one might be Leicas. let's do us let's do k 35s let's do uh an older anamorphic whatever but um you know it, it's a really it's like grad school that show cuz i i got to i got to try everything
0: yeah it sounds um, like you guys but, have a lot of options and you try different things
1: so that's one of the things though that that i love about that camera though is that I know it so well is I don't have to think about the camera it's which is more like shooting film was where it's just a box the film is the film but the box whether it's an airy cam lt and it costs a fortune or if it's you know a bl4 the film and the lens are all that matter uh, really um unless you need a really pretty video tap so the uh does anyone still know what a video tap is? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say um,
0: that's another like that. That one throws yeah.
1: it back a little bit, but we, yeah, can, uh, we can Google that. We we have a lot a lot of people
0: like we talk about you know the cameras are a big part of our community like talking about them and people love the Alexa and they love the skin tones and, like I've heard a lot of DPs talk about choices being pairing the right lenses with the right camera sensor. Based on, but but I mean, I think when it comes to the Alexa, people love it so much that they're like, yeah, that like I, I'll go with the Alexa if I can't. <laughs> like, like and it, it comes
1: like, off as more natural to me and a little more. They 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 know that thing because of the background of Aerie with the digital is they started with scanning and uh, laser out, and so they really had to understand film color and color spaces and and how to recreate that and capture that so when they did the d20 d21 they started to implement that into motion uh capturing motion and then the alexa kind of put it all into place but but they had 15 years of development before anyone started in for the cinema world and in it shows and what they know that i just haven't really found from the other companies and not that they people don't do amazing work on other cameras was that they just remembered to put a little magic in it. And that's something Kodak always knew, just like people don't want like a the real world that <laughs> yes. it's it's we've seen it. It's fine, but it's people want it. generally want a little bit of um, glamor or sparkle just pop yeah <laughs> whatever you want to call it um, yes yes yeah I and that i i think the camera remembered that and so again i just don't i know it so well i don't want to talk about cameras <laughs> someday will come out with the they announced at some point the 4k super 35 camera yeah and then i can just stop talking about cameras forever <laughs> like, i'm just i'm so over how many k and which format and um, yes. Yes. I'm like they're not that there's not a place for everything, but the yes. conversation's been long and frustrating.
0: I mean, do you tend to just to feel more like you're going to craft your image without worrying about the box, like you said, like you're going to use the light stock or whatever else, the lens.
1: Well, so to get a really specific look, and I would definitely include the LUT in that.
0: Yeah, that list of
1: things. It's all, it's it's like a film in the old days, a film stock without your print stock is only part of the equation. And Ansel Adams said the the negative is the symphony, the print is the performance. And so if you're not including post in that conversation, you're you're doing half of the photography so but once that's all in place and you've created this feeling of the image then you go back to the more fundamental work of where's the light coming from what what are the actors doing how does that interact how is the camera capturing it and editing together and um that's more important but i find that last ten percent of texture—if that's missing—it it feels like something's missing.
0: Yes, I like uh, I like seeing the the hearing you talk about the image the final the image quality as a result of the final the end the whole thing put together um, and not just talking about how you're shooting it and what camera you're using because I think also yeah people tend to to isolate that part of the process away from the rest of it but it's just part of the cooking. It's not the finished meal.
1: Yeah. I, so the thing, the reason Derek said he hired me was because he asked me a question in that meeting of what departments do you have issues with? And my answer was, I can't do my job without any department. I, I have to have, everyone has an important job and I get along with everyone and there can always be an issue with any specific person or any specific department. But I, if the trucks don't show up cause transpose not there, I can't do my job. If makeup and art and props and set deck haven't done their jobs, my job suffers. If, if catering doesn't do their job, we're all sick six hours later. Like it's, everyone has a hugely important role. If someone wasn't important, they would have got drummed out of the business a hundred years ago when all these things got established. Like no one likes to pay more money than they have to. Everyone on set is essential. And, um, that, that kind of approach was what, you know, just made them decide to give me a chance.
0: Yeah. Well, it sounds like, uh, Sounds like it's a good match. And um, do they do a lot of takes? Do you find when you guys are shooting Drunk History, do you do do you do uh, things a do lot?
1: They do They do enough takes. Oh, oh, this is the other thing I want to say about Drunk is that it's kind of two different shows because there's right. two different directors that do everything, and they're very different in their approach. And it took me a while to figure that out. I feel like it was like, "What is happening?" And then I'm like, Derek wants to be super specific and figure out the shot. And then work to the shot. So this is our plan. This is what we're going to do. And then I can light right to the edge of the frame because that's the edge of the frame. And it becomes very like dimensional lighting where as people move, the lighting adjusts on them. And it's very kind of feature feeling in the approach. And then Jeremy is, "Eh, we'll do something over here. I want to see what the actors do. And it becomes very freeform. So the lights are bigger and they're outside and I don't want to be the guy to say no. So they're out of the way and it's more expensive, but they're both valid. And, and I appreciate having to be pulled both ways. Cause I learn more and, or ch- am challenged more. And, but it took me a little bit to figure out that those were fundamentally different.
0: I thought you were also going to say it's, it's sort of different shows in the sense that there's the, the drunk person telling the story, there's the historian, and then there's the story. And I thought maybe you were going to say in terms of stylistic, I, you're kind of jumping between two kinds of things.
1: Yeah, I've, I don't always do that part. I've done some of it. Yeah. Um, I, you know, It's very simple yes. in terms of documentary. We try to make it look good, but it's, yeah, uh, it's just... documentary style. That's um, sure. But, but it, it's funny it's, hearing
0: that, uh, that I assumed incorrectly, and I'm glad, and it's, and it's edifying to hear I assumed that that sort of Jeremy style was how you guys shot most of it, where it was like, we're going to kind of see what happens, and we're going to follow these people around and like, get to see what their thing is. But it's interesting to note that when you're shooting a Derek stuff that Derek directs, there's a real specific, like, this is the frame, this is what's going to happen. Like, keeps you on your toes, I guess, right?
1: It becomes about refinement and finding connecting everything within that, but really trying to tweak and, and adjust. And one of the things is because we do almost every scene as a one unless there's like back and forth with people sitting across from each other. Um, we try to do everything as a one-er. So the the camera flows. um through the shot and we have to constantly adjust okay the blocking and now the dolly needs to go a little further while slide over on the slider or you know maybe this needs to be done on a geared head so i can count the tilt rolls and, and make sure it lands perfectly and whatever all those pieces are and sometimes it's steadicam doing the same thing um and so you're constantly refining till you land it and then you get one or two takes that everything comes together. But, but you can do 10 takes as you build the scene because something's not working. Then if you take that out, then suddenly you got two other things you have to fix. Um, and that's a really fun challenge to sort out. The, the show I did last year that hintified um, was much more traditional in terms of, coverage and um the way scouting the best boys would scout and it's more of a controlled fall of a schedule but then we had um still approach in the same way of like what's a great movie what would a great movie do here like how, how would how would we make this emotional and not just say that's how they do it in tv how can we make it special
0: yeah and
1: that's how we keep the approach and that comes back to where you get the crew where you need people that you have to deliver for so that they stay interested and and that approach keeps high quality people around because they want to do that too no one yeah. we all got into it to make cool movies yes and and if we're not making this a cool movie then maybe someone else is
0: yes make it cinematic basically
1: yeah, like it, like, yeah. like
0: treat it like it yeah. like it's not a throwaway. Yeah, exactly. That, that's no, happened I, in TV too. It's it's great. It's made it. It's when artists treat it that way, it becomes more compelling to watch.
1: You know, whatever yeah, and, and more compelling to do too, because I feel like the you build all sorts of bad habits if you the words good enough are the you know the killers, and you still have to make your day. And we both shows did crazy page counts and um it's it's hard to get it all done but within those restrictions never really settling i think is a is an important factor to me in terms of like i want i want the screen to look like the movies i love or you know again cinematic whether you know with my own touch whatever that is
0: yeah no that's that's awesome um we've gone over and i i really appreciate it no problem but i want to uh i want to wrap on if i can with one last kind of question that i like to ask people and i feel like as we go through went through the course we've learned there's been a lot of really valuable lessons but you could you can maybe summarize like if you were giving advice if you could give some advice to people who are starting out or who are early on in their careers what would you what would you try to highlight i think you have actually highlighted a lot of extremely useful things along the way but i'm just gonna if you can if you have one more maybe
1: i think empathy towards the people you're working with um both because it makes you a better person but also because if you can get in the head of your dp or your ac or whoever you're working for um you can be better at your job and you know, read, understand, watch movies, understand what the shot is so that if there's a way to make it better, you can offer up a suggestion at the right moment. Obviously, learning etiquette of when that's okay is, is a process, but, um, you know, everyone's trying to make their work better. So if you can become indispensable in your ability to help with that, And even if it's just bringing water in a hot day over and over so that people can focus on what they're doing, like, don't be too cool for that. Like coffee at night, you know, whatever it is, be the thing that it scratches the itch of everybody. And that's, that's who gets called back. And also if you're trying to get into, say, camera department don't just ask once like i've I've talked about this with a number of acs over the years like we probably get asked 30 to 50 times for every one person that comes in that gets invited in and it's it's because you need a very specific like fire and so If someone doesn't respond to you, ask again in a few months or, you know, don't don't be afraid. The worst thing they're going to say is no. What
0: if they say no? Could you still ask again or does that when you draw the line maybe and decide I should stop asking?
1: um, If they say no, then you don't know that they're going to say no in six months. Right. OK. Yeah. I was curious. I've had people that I I've had people that I wished had asked me again. Like, ah,
0: that's good. To hear. I didn't
1: get back to you because I was busy, and like if you'd asked again, we could have figured something out. But like, it's a busy industry, and there's a lot of people trying to get in, and and like, it's a squeaky wheel definitely gets the grease. Um, and then you have to deliver. But um, yeah, I love that. Though. Don't don't nice. don't stop asking for sure
0: thanks everyone for listening and thanks to logan for appearing on the show Uh, if you have any questions for future podcasts thoughts comments suggestions email us at ask at nofilmschool.com or editor at nofilmschool.com we have a lot of cool stuff happening on the website you can check out our weekly podcast, which covers all filmmaking news. That's uh, no film school podcast as well. Subscribe, comment, like, share, check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, And of course, I wanna remind everybody, we have an awesome free ebook that is now available called How to Write a Screenplay During Quarantine. But as I've said many times, it doesn't just apply to quarantine. It's a 10 week program. With some off weeks built in all you have to do is write a few pages every week we walk you through every single step of the process with some really cool infographics that'll help you develop things like log lines and beat sheets and a story map and all kinds of things that'll just help you become a better screenwriter and finish that script that has been on your mind so check it out uh, how to write a Screenplay during quarantine on nofilmschool.com. All you have to do is sign up for our newsletter and you get the ebook completely free. Thanks so much for listening.